0: Hi everyone, this is Marcia, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, Cocoa Pod. Consider the aromatic cocoa pod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. Cocoa Pod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes.
1: Hello, my name is Ayanna Lloyd-Barnwell and I am a Trinidadian writer currently living in London. My debut novel is entitled When We Were Birds and I'm going to be reading an excerpt of it today. The novel moves between two characters, JD St. Bernard and Emmanuel Darwin. I'm going to be reading an excerpt from Darwin's section. It wasn't a vow so much as law, like how water does run down a mountain and not up, like how from November the sun starts to set just a little bit earlier every day and the breeze gets a little chill in it, like how no matter how hard Darwin used to stay at the mango tree in the schoolyard when he was a little boy, He could not force it to bring forth fruit outside of its due season. It had no ceremony, no words that he had to memorize and repeat in front of a crowd, but it was as irrevocable as high tide. All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. Until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair and his head grow long, All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or for his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. It had always been he and his mother, Janiah, living like their own island at the end of Dahlia Street. There was no one else like them on the street and other than Miss Enid next door, nobody really cared. It was enough for the adults to know that the boy from up the road was quiet and respectful, never bothered nobody, never take up too much with the other boys. They couldn't understand why his mother didn't cut his hair and have him looking decent, but they know better than to ask Janiah her business and leave the family alone with their ways. Everybody knew Janiah was the best seamstress in the area. She was reserved, almost solemn, but all they had to do was ask, and she would sew their children's school uniforms. And when times was hard, let them pay her when they could. So he and his mother lived in a community of two. Well, three if you count Miss Enid, as he always did. Even when Janaya's hands start to twist and pain like old roots, he still sees them as they looked when he was little as she turned the pages of the Bible that she kept on her bedside table, the head wrap that always covered her hair, making a crown high atop her head. He almost never see her hair underneath it, and he used to think that her head just shaped that way, like the Nefertiti picture she had tacked to the wall in the front room of their house. It was right next to the photo of the doctor and the other of his majesty and Empress Menon. Them three photos was like a trio of gods in the house when he was growing up. The conquering lion of Judah and his empress. The Egyptian queen that had been the most beautiful and powerful woman in the world. And the doctor, the crown prince of the sufferers of Port Angeles, she used to call him. It was the only remnant of her life in the city, the place she grew up from small. If it wasn't for that photo... He would have thought his mother had come into being when he was born and had always been there in their house, in their yard. All she ever said was that she turned her back on dead and consecrate herself and her new son as Nazarites, separate, promised to Jah, in the world, but never of the world. She would stroke the pages of the Bible as she read the vow to him, the razor, the locks, the dead. Her voice was soft as what he imagined Lamb's world feel like. But when she wasn't looking, he would find a place to himself and cry long, long tears to think of his mother dead, alone in her bed. That he would have to leave the house he grew up in because it was just he and she, and who would take her away if not him? He wouldn't have nowhere to go if no one would take his mother from the house where they live and God would smite him if he so much as peek at her just one last time to say goodbye. Miss Enid would gather him up as he sit crying on their back steps when she come out to do her washing and tell him not to worry. Your mother too damn stubborn to die. And she would stroke his head and give him a piece of pone to eat, and he would forget all about the image of Janiah lying dead in the empty house. Is all that way on his shoulders the last day he come home to his mother. He take off his shoes by the door and meet Janaya in the kitchen peeling green fig, steam rising from a pot on the fire. Only a few more sweet potato left in the basket on the counter. The big bag of rice reach halfway, the glass jar with black eyed peas halfway too. Evening, Emmanuel, that is you? i bring mango for you. He pulled them out from his bag and rest them on the kitchen table. She turned to look her voice light up. Statch, what else I go bring? She laughed and stick her cheek out. He kissed her and take over, peeling the green figs. Rest yourself, ma. She leave the pot and head straight for the mangoes. He leaned his back on the counter to face the kitchen door, the green fig skin peeling off easy in his hands and watch her. She touch each mango and choose the brightest yellow with a few black spots on it, the sweetest one. Wipe her hands on her skirts and sink her teeth into it. Her teeth rip off the skin bit by bit and she suck the golden flesh until the juice run down her fingers. You don't know Janaya to smile too much, but starch mango always turn her into a child again. Make her forget her worries a little bit. Her hands don't look twisted and painful when she eats in mango, her face glowing and bright. He finished peeling the fig, then the sweet potato, and the last bit of pumpkin, and put them on the boil. Take our next one, ma. He started chop the seasoning for the peas. Onions, garlic, parsley, some shadow benny, some scythe. You don't want? You know I will eat all. Now I bring them for you. He feel her smile, even with his back turn. The kitchen quiet for a while. Just the smell of starch mango. The heat from the steam rising from the pot where the provision was boiling. The seasoning sharp in his nose. The peas soaking in a bowl of water. The low hum of the radio. She two mangoes down now. It's as good a time as any. I I get through at the office today. Oh, praise Jah, she clapped her hands and the laughter poured out of her mouth like bells. I tell you, you would get something, And I tell you? She rushed over to him by the stove and hug him from behind. The top of her head barely reached the middle of his back. Patience, I tell you, just patience. Blessings don't come when you decide they must come, but they does come when you need them the most. She moved away and he hear her pull up a chair by the kitchen table and sit down. But why you didn't say? You stand up here so long and you ain't say a word. Leave that and come and talk to me now. The second pot hot enough now. He pour a little oil, wait for the fine line of smoke to rise from it. Then throw in the garlic and onion, stir it with a wooden spoon. The pot starts to sizzle and little flecks of oil jump. The sweet salty smell of the onions rise up. I don't want the onion to burn. He pouring the peas, stirs it in good with some water. All right. She disappointed. But then the excitement rise in her voice again. Well, what kind of work? Where it is? They start back up construction on the highway. He lower down the fire, cover the pot and turn around. She's still smiling, her fingers reaching toward the other mangoes on the table. Look at how some coconut milk in the fridge. Don't forget it. Ma, he take a deep breath. You know how things are these days, how long I'm looking and I can't find any work. And the lady I talk to say is all she have. Is in a cemetery, ma. Janaya, whole face changed now like when rain set up sudden. The gold mango blush gone, and her eyes flat and hard like slates. It a what? Her voice pitched high, and she pushed back from the table. The chair scraped and clattered down to the wooden floor. She hold on to the kitchen door to steady herself. In a way, Fidelis is the big one in Port Angeles. Well, go back and tell them you want something else. Her voice turns to steel. It's have nothing else. Well, you can't take it. Not in no dead yard and not in that dead city. Something else will come. You can't go in that place and mix up in them people. He gesture around the kitchen. You think I don't know how you stretch every bit of groceries I just bring home? You think I don't see that your hands can't make with the sewing machine anymore? How the orders come in and less and less? I will manage. You need make a rug for my hands and it helping It's not so bad again. I good, Emmanuel. I doing good now. You think I blind? Money is not everything, Emmanuel. You know what kind of man I raise you to be. You know I never ask for help from nobody. I never bring no next man in this house for him to play like he is more man inside the hair than you. You know how I rate you and what hopes I have for you. And this is what you're going to do me? Do yourself? I grow you with a clean heart. You think it's have any silver and gold in this world that could make up for your soul, Emmanuel? You think anybody in that place care anything about your soul? He feel his whole body tense bubbling with the thing you want to say but cannot say, the thing that always in the house with them, that they step over and around and pretend was never there. It make him want to break something, tip over the whole table, fling the pot off the stove. We will manage, son, her voice quiet, almost pleading. You ever starve in my house? I ever send you out in the world without your belly full and your clothes clean? You ever want for anything once you're here with me? I can't spend my whole life here with you. The words come soft but firm before he even know he's saying them. The slap echo in the kitchen, and his face sting. They stare at each other. So here with me ain't good enough for you, Emmanuel. What's it have to see over there? Dead people bones, police and thief and prostitutes and dirty politician. You want to be out there in that life? Is glamor life you want? He see her eyes filling up with water and all the anger leave him one time. He don't even feel this thing on his face anymore because he know that what he say hurts her more than any lash she could have given. He turn around and shut off the fire under the provision. Feel her watching him while he stir the pumpkin and the coconut milk in the peas release the fragrances into the air. He lower the heat. Son, her voice sound quiet now. Like she spent all the rage she have in her. I understand. I understand what you're saying. But that place, that place could swallow a man whole. Plenty of women watch their son, their daughter, their husband walk out their house looking for more. Talking that same story you're talking now. And they never see them again. If you go to that place, if you leave this house, you're not coming back. You're putting me out, ma? He can't bear to turn around. He don't want to see the anger in her eyes. He don't want to see the answer. I make you. You as mine. But if you leave this house to go and live in tongue, you're not coming back. He hear footsteps get softer as she walk down the corridor and the door to her room close. The space she leave when she gone feel like something carved out of his insides. When the food done cooked, he take a bowl from the cupboard and put out some green fig and provision. Pour over a spoon of the fragrant stew peas still steaming. Find the glass bottle with kuchela from the fridge and add a little bit on the side. He sat down on the kitchen steps and eat his food alone. The evening come fast like it rushed in him, though wanting to give in and change his mind. When he finished dinner and clean up the kitchen, he know what he have to do. He not go in by no barber. No stranger was going and touched his head. He find a scissors in the kitchen drawer, test the blade with his thumb, sharp enough. He sit down by the Zaboka tree in the backyard, a plastic grocery bag from under the sink at his feet, and take his time off. His locks drop heavy on his shoulders, his back. He sit for a while with his eyes closed and let the last of the afternoon sun warm his skin, settle in his dread. He roll his neck and feel the weight of 25 years remember what he looked like before. There must have been a before, but as long as he know himself, as long as it have a Emmanuel in the world that he knows him, he was a natty dread. A rasta man. What's it mean not to look like that anymore? What's it mean to break a promise? He know one thing for sure. he not walking in that place as the man he know. To do that work, he go have to be a different kind of man. Take in front before in front take him. Deep breath. Grab a fistful. Cut. The blade slides halfway through one lock and he have to cut again, sawing his way through. He stare at the black coils as they fall in the bag at his feet. Something catch in his throat like walking uphill. Another fistful and the hill steeper and it harder to breathe. He could only find his way to take short, shallow gasps and he never wanted to breathe deep more in his whole life. Everything in the yard looked greener and the air thicker and his body like it don't belong to him anymore. With each cut is like he watching himself do it. The long ropes pile higher and higher. They overflow the bag that holding them, spread out among the zavaka leaves. They reach up his chest, his neck, and wrap themselves around his throat, and he can't breathe, can't breathe, can't breathe. But it's not him, not his body, not his throat. And the man sitting under the tree is somebody else. And with the last cut, he finally take a deep breath in. His head shorn his old self, floating somewhere above the tree. Exhale. Thank
0: you. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow Coco Pod and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow Cocoa Pod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms.